new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in and joining us. I am your host, Dr. Joshua Black. Our co-host, Sean Ram, couldn't be with us today, so I'm going to be doing this solo. If this is the first time listening to the podcast, thank you for tuning in. And so our podcast is about where we talk about people's life, their losses, the grief they go through, and also the dreams of the deceased and other types of dreams they have after loss. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Today on the podcast, we have Jessica Klontz, who is an assistant teaching professor of human development and family studies at Penn State University, Du Bois campus, where she teaches courses on the helping professions, gerontology, addictions, counseling, and grief and loss. She has her master's of counselor education as well. She is trained in end-of-life doula through the International End-of-Life Doula Association and works to promote conversations surrounding death and dying in her local community. When she's not teaching, you can find her hiking with her family in the Pennsylvania wilds, reading a good book, tending to her plants, or traveling to new places. She lives in the beautiful Pennsylvania with her husband and German Shepherd. Thank you, Jessica, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today. And so you're, you're a teacher, and I love how you're teaching on the subject of grief and loss. Is that a program they had prior to you coming in and being a teacher? So was that like a program maybe when you're in your, your undergrad or your master's that you saw? No, I only, in all of my education, I only uh, took one class called Grief and Loss Counseling. It was definitely a pivotal class for me. I loved every minute of it. And so when I became a professor, we didn't offer in my program any, any focus on end of life, grief or loss. But at other campuses, there was a grief and loss class. And so I connected with that professor, got some insight and some feedback, and then built the first class at my campus called Death, Dying, and Bereavement. And so I teach that now. Wow, that's actually really amazing. Yeah, because yeah. I've never taken a course on that in my any aspect. Like I, That course was just never offered in any of the universities I've been to. And so like when I when I hear that, I get excited because things it means things are changing. And so I'm really happy to know that you brought that in. What was the was there a lot of excitement with students coming in? Did they like so what kind of people took that class? That's an awesome question because when I was advising students and telling them about the class, there was definitely <laughs> some apprehension. Many of my students want to work with kids. They want to work with uh, small children. And so thinking about the other, uh, the other end of the spectrum, uh, and especially loss, they definitely gave me this look like, is there anything else I could take? But once I explained to them how applicable it would be, no matter who they were working with, they, they got on board with it. And I have to say, it went so well. Students were very thankful that they got the chance to openly talk about a lot of their, their own experiences. Uh, one of the assignments is for them to create a timeline of their own losses. And I don't narrow that to death. Um, it could have been a relationship loss. It could have been they moved at one point. Uh, and so I had them just draw out their timeline. And many of them found that incredibly therapeutic in and of itself. And so they realized the value of having these conversations, regardless of the population you want to work with. Wow, that's actually a really good exercise to do. Because it really, I think, I would think helps you understand even how you cope through those based on how old you were. And especially if people start sharing that, you realize how 
common grief is and the struggles and all the different types of losses that people go through and that you would never know because you know we look at the outside shell of someone and they're happy and they're like oh wow you know your life's been good then you realize there's just like a <laughs> tsunami of losses behind them that they're still processing and i think that's such a, a beautiful moment for people to realize that just because the outside may look good there's a lot of stuff that goes on that we just don't see and, and a lot of times you just don't ask absolutely Absolutely. And, and just that universal connection that we have all survived a lot. <laughs> we all have stories to tell. And as you're saying, like many people want to work with kids, but like kids suffer many losses. And one of the first losses that they probably will suffer is probably a pet death in their life. So absolutely. Do you, do you ever bring that up like pet loss? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Because we can lose any kind of relationship and the bonds that we have with our pets, obviously I brought my German Shepherd into my bio. So I clearly have a, a strong connection and I want my students to understand that those connections are just as valid and those losses are just as powerful, especially our animal friends. They, they see us with unconditional positive regard. That's something that we don't always get with our human relationships. And so that profound deep connection and love. And when we lose that, we feel that just as well. And so, yeah, that's, I definitely emphasize our animal connections. That's amazing. Good for you. Look at you go. I got to say, like, yeah. you're, you're doing something that hasn't been done yet at Penn State. And I think that is just so remarkable that there is a change occurring. And sometimes it just takes, you know, one of us to be able to slowly change the conversation and without the education people are left feeling i know maybe anxious about the topic they don't want to approach it but you're right it's something that's so common in life and you got to be able to have some confidence that you can approach the situation and so what other like things do you have within this course i'm really curious because you know I'm, i may want to take it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the timeline is something that we do in the first three weeks of the class just to help the students understand their own perspective of loss and how it's impacted their worldview. Um, so that's how we set the stage in the class. Some other uh, activities that we, we do, uh, we look at basically what death doulas and end-of-life doulas do is, is help clients who are facing the end of their life, about to approach active dying, how do they want to die? Some things that we don't think about, you know, if we're given the option, of course, not everyone is given these options, but if you could have options, what would they be? And so for me personally, in my death plan, you know, I want to be in a comfortable bed. <laughs> I want uh, a lot of natural light. I would love the smell of lavender or lemon, and I would love violin music. I just think it's so powerful. You know, all of these, what would you want in your atmosphere? And, and who do you want there? You know, go through all of the five senses. And so uh, students definitely had emotional reaction to that because they were placed in that mindset of thinking about, yeah, if I had the option, like I'm going to die someday, that is a fact. But if I got the option of what that looks like, what would I like it to look like? And so creating that, that death plan you know, we know that the vast majority of people say that they want to die at home, surrounded with loved ones, um, but the vast majority of people die in an institution like a hospital, and very rarely do they get the ending that they would have preferred. And so that's kind of the movement of end-of-life doulas is 
striving to educate families before that time has arrived and help make people's end-of-life wishes come to fruition. And so students get an opportunity to think about that. Um, and many of them had, like I said, emotional reactions in class. And it wasn't a negative emotional reaction. It was just that, you know, they realized how, how meaningful it would be to have their loved ones in the room. Uh, many of them said, I want my animals on my bed with me. I want someone to read poetry to me. Uh, one person said they would love Frank Sinatra to be playing. And so it was just powerful to, to hear their wishes and, and, and have them think about such a sacred time in their life. Yeah, it is really interesting to, to think about that question and to really see the themes that come up, like music and how powerful that is and calming, but also who people want around and said like pets. I know pet therapy is one of the things, especially in hospices that, you know, they, they have, and it just really showcases, even if you don't own that animal, any animal <laughs> it seems can be very beneficial to someone just for that, their presence in the, in the room. So, yeah, I think that's, that's really great to get people to start thinking about what they would like and the importance of that as we move forward, because you're right, it's not a conversation people ask at a party when you're, <laughs> when you're invited, what, what do you want when you're uh, on your deathbed? And so like you need certain people to ask that. And so it's great that you're asking those and getting them to think critically about this stuff, because it's going to help those people that they come into contact with in whatever they do as they move forward. Absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, it's not, this isn't com common conversation at parties. My friends know me as kind of like the death friend. I'm, I'm the person that they can have those conversations with. And so many of my friends have told me their wishes and they, they, they expect me to carry them out. And so I have a list of, <laughs> of things that my, my loved ones want. And so, like, I have one friend who said, you know, I'm counting on you to make sure that I'm a tree, <laughs> make sure <laughs> that I become a tree in, uh, afterwards. And so I have that down and I'm ready to help them bring that to fruition. So I am that weird one at the parties <laughs> that's asking people, you know, how, how do you want to go? And what are your plans? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what do you like for dinner? And how would you like to die? <laughs> yeah. And what do you want? Music playing. Okay, we're good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Hey, that's great. You know, we, we all need that, that friend. And so I'm glad you could be that for people and just allow people to just, you know, realize that, you know, it's okay. We can talk about this stuff. It doesn't have to be a big ordeal. And, you know, I think that just comes with you being confident yourself to be able to talk about the subject. So what gave you the confidence to talk about the subject since most people avoid it? Right. And so to be completely honest, death has been a theme in my life since day one. So you've studied psychology. You're probably very familiar with Freud and Adler's ideas of our earliest memories and earliest dreams and how those kind of can set someone up personality-wise or worldview-wise. So if I think back to my very first memory that I can that I can hold on to and bring back to my working memory. I was actually at a funeral. Um, I was at my great grandfather's funeral and I remember the casket. I remember I, I was four or five and which is a typical first memory age range. And I, I remember viv most vividly the yellow wallpaper of the funeral home. And I knew it was a sad time. My parent, my mom was crying, but it wasn't, you know, at four or five, I wasn't upset. I, I barely knew this person, but I knew people around me were impacted. 
And so that was my first memory was being at a funeral. And then, you know, throughout my life, there was just a lot of loss in many ways. And the vast majority of people who I've lost were under the age of 45. Um, so the, like the un, I guess we would call it in our society, the untimely death are the most prevalent in my life. So I, I, you know, death is a theme. I've faced it many times. And so I kind of just thought to, to t- try to take a lesson from this, from each one of this time that we're given here and the connections that we have, how sacred these are and how short it all is. Um, even if you do die after a long and healthy, lengthy life, that's really such a short time to get to do and be and love. And so I've just kind of carried this into my my life now of let's talk about this. I, I don't want to grieve alone. I want to share my grief with people who, who are with me and understand. Um, I want to talk about their lives and how cool they were. You know, I don't want to just shut them away or and say, oh, they're gone now, done. I don't believe that. <laughs> and I never believe that. So I just, I, I want people to feel comfortable as much as they can with death, but also not be alone in it and scared alone. <laughs> it's okay to be scared of death. We all have death anxiety, but you don't have to be alone in that, you know, and I, cause I certainly didn't want to be alone in that. And so I think that's where it comes from. Wow, that's it's beautiful in the sense that you're able to process in such a way where you can see the beauty in talking about it and to opening up conversation so people don't have to feel alone. And I think that's the thing, like you don't have to push it in front of someone's face, but there are people that want to talk about it but just don't have the right people around them or the right circumstances around to be able to talk about it. And these courses and a lot of the stuff that we're doing in society now is, I think, really helping the conversation. When I look at the pandemic, I really see a shift in what people are allowing themselves to talk about. I haven't seen so much talk about grief and loss and death in the news, I don't think ever. And so it's really shining a light on that subject in many ways. And I think that's going to help normalize the feelings that people are going through more than ever before. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you see that too? Oh, 100%, 100%. So now we're, it's almost as if we're given permission to acknowledge that we have been going through a collective grieving process. And then our own individual losses, we're we're given permission to acknowledge that this is hard. This is real. But, and also just like you said, it's, it's kind of like how the mental health movement has been coming more and more mainstream. We can talk about this instead of oh, don't talk about that. That's mental health stuff. You know, we're encouraged now. Talk about it. Uh, find the, you know, find the resources, get connected. We're seeing that now. I, I agree with you in, in the grief and loss sector where it's public. We're talking about it. And, and now, like you said, we're, we're educating too. So there's definitely helpful things to say to somebody. And there's some really unhelpful things to say to somebody. And I'm seeing a lot of those conversations in social media as well. Um, like it's not always helpful to say, well, at least they're, they're not suffering anymore. Um, that's not always helpful. I mean, maybe to someone it is helpful to hear that, yeah, their pain and their pain is done. But in the, in the first few days of my grieving process, 
I don't want to hear that personally, you know, because I'm still, I want them here. Uh, and I, I want I want to see them and touch them and hear their voice. And so sometimes that isn't, you know, it might have been sent with good intentions, but it might have landed um, harshly or painfully. And so to be, we're being more cognizant of what we're saying and how we're trying to help others. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I always just kind of advise people, at the end of the day, your, your presence is what really matters. I don't need you to have magic words because <laughs> you're not going to take away my grief and you're not going to bring this person or this, this soul back to me. What I need is just your, your unwavering presence to sit with me in this really, really hard time. I like that. It's like taking, taking a lesson from animals. They can't say anything, mm-hmm. but yet they tend to be the most comforting during loss after loss and they just sit with you and they do what you need to be done if you want to go outside or if you want to watch tv they just hang with you and i think there is something special about that and we are so used to just doing stuff or getting getting away to and we forget that just sitting with someone in silence can be almost one of the beneficial or one of the most beautiful things as someone cries or as someone just you know wants to just be there and like how how beautiful that is that we can just simplify it to some of those actions. And you know, that's it's great that in your course that you talk about all this sort of stuff. What kind of um feedback have you got from the students after taking the course that may have surprised you? Yeah, so one of one of the remarks in my evaluations was I feel that every person in my degree program should be mandated to take this class. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't expecting that at all, especially given that many of the students uh, were a little hesitant about it. And so I think what happened was this awakening of death, grief, loss. These are universal human experiences. And we, and we do need to talk about it more and how, how healing it can be to have your grief witnessed. To have your grief validated, um, especially for you know disenfranchised grief. I'm a big supporter of people who are feeling disenfranchised grief. You know, it is still grief. <laughs> there is absolutely research backing the physiological reactions, the emotional reactions. If it, if you, you know, grief is subjective. This connection that you had that has been that has now evolved into a different form that is real to you and that is grief. And so I think, you know, that's what surprised me that mo- the most when that the one student said, I think this should be mandatory for everyone in our degree program. Uh, the students are going into human service professionals. So they're, they're, they're ranging in anything that has to do with helping other humans. Um, so they might go on to be counselors or case managers. They might work in daycares with small children, uh, social workers in hospitals. And so they're recognizing that death permeates the lifespan, not just one sector of it, and that anyone that they come in contact with could be could be grieving and not being given permission to heal or express it. Well, that's good. I'm really curious. Do you ever mention, and I'm putting you on the spot, do you ever mention grief dreams or does a topic ever come up in conversation within your class? Yes, it did. It did come up. We were talking about end-of-life phenomena, um, which is fascinating in and of itself. So, you know, just the the language that often appears in people who are actively dying, the metaphors that are common, 
the visions that are common, and then uh, and and even people who are actively dying, they they have often they have common themes within their dreams. And then I we I I ask the students, you know, have you ever had dreams of of deceased uh, or lost loved ones? And many of them said, oh yeah, absolutely. And we had a good conversation about that, and I was able to share some of my experiences as well. Wow, I am impressed. I'm really grateful that you are bringing it within the conversation because that's one of the struggles that I'm finding is just educating people to bring it up in conversation. And so you're doing a lot of great work there. And I'm, I'm really happy that you are, you were able to, and they allowed you to produce this course and you're, you're doing some good stuff. And I want to thank you for that. But now I'm really curious, you got my ears peaked on some of these grief dreams you share to these students that I haven't heard yet. <laughs> and uh-huh. so before we go there, could you maybe talk about the loss of whoever died and then maybe that, that dream you had afterwards of them? Sure, sure. So I'll, I can speak on my most recent one, I, I, but I, you know, I've only had grief dreams. I can think of just three that have remained with me. And the most recent one was during the pandemic. So my maternal grandmother, she died actually May 24th, 2020. And so I, I had the grief dream. Time is eluding me. I, but I, I believe it was about one month to a month and a half after her death. And, you know, it was during the pandemic. So the process definitely looked different than I imagined it would look. Although I am grateful that you know, she had been hospitalized due to complications of aging. And, and that's what I mean by the, you know, COVID really disrupted the process there because there was a lot of panic that we wouldn't be able to see her again. To get my grandfather into the, the hospital to be with her was a, a nightmare. It definitely didn't look the way that we envisioned. And then thankfully, she was discharged home on hospice. And so family was able to gather and to create that sacred space for her, which was I'm so thankful for. And so she did die, like I said, at the end of May. And just the way I am, uh, my my own beliefs, my own personal belief system, uh, I ne- I didn't stop talking to her. <laughs> so it was springtime, and so that was her favorite time because she loved her flowers, loved planting flowers, tending to her flowers, and so my own flowers at my house were blooming and so beautiful and so as I'm tending to my plants I would just be like grandma what do you think of these ones they're doing so well I hope you can see them and so I I just never stopped talking to her and just in grief counseling we call that continuing bonds where I may not be able to pick up the phone and call you or I I used to email them (laughs) my grandparents they were good at email not so much text but you know I can't just email her Um, I can't just go up and see her, but, you know, I imagine that she is still with me in some sense. And so I just continued that bond by talking to her as I gardened and Mm -hmm. tended to my flowers. And so I, it was almost kind of, you know, the grief dreams are subjective. It's whatever the person sees is important about them and feels. And so when I had the grief dream uh, a month or a month and a half later, I really, really felt like it was her uh, and and just her way of validating that she's been hearing me <laughs> and that she's been, you know, with me the whole time, just kind of like reassuring me, like, yep, you're right, <laughs> I'm there. 
And she had sent a couple signs, in, in my perspective, <laughs> uh, she had sent a couple signs before the, the dream, and then the dream kind of solidified. And I haven't had one since of her, but I, I haven't stopped talking to her. <laughs> so I think she's, she's in a place of, yep, she gets it. I'm here. I'm listening. <laughs> you're the one of the bonding things was you know really doing your garden together is there anything else like about her that you remember like that you have like a fond memory of her with is like her cooking Mm. or anything like that yeah yeah so she was the typical grandmother in that I really feel like she lived like her greatest joy was her grandchildren there's many of us (laughs) and she she just could not get enough of her grandkids. And so the the typical grandmother cheering you on, that was her. She never missed a grandchild's occasion, like not a birthday, not a wedding, a musical, a graduation. She was there for all of it, would not miss a single thing. And I, so just like a quick memory, I, I play guitar and I play out every once in a while. I haven't done it in a long time, but uh, I used to play covers acoustically. And I was at a restaurant one time doing my set and my grandparents came up because uh, they loved to, to listen to me play. And my grandma would get so excited to see me. Like she would start clapping prematurely. And like, she was just so excited that she was there and that I was playing live and doing my music. I can remember her sitting there very close and <laughs> she just started clapping. It wasn't the end of the song, but she was just so excited. And so that, but that was her, like she just could not get enough of her grandkids. And so anytime that I did anything in my life, went to college, got my master's degree, uh, when I got uh, my current position as, a, as an assistant teaching professor at Penn State, I can hear in her voice, you know, she called me Jessie. Uh, and she was always like, Jessie, you're just doing such amazing stuff. You are just doing awesome stuff. I'm so proud of you. And like, I can just hear her voice. Like she would say it over and over and over again. And you, you felt it, like you felt it in your, in your whole body that she was just so excited to see her grandchildren do and lead happy lives. And so that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it was definitely one of the hardest parts when she died was knowing that I wasn't going to hear that again. You know, of course I have other supports in my life. You know, my family is amazing, but to have her just unwavering support and that, that voice of, you know, you're, you're doing amazing things. Even when she was on hospice and at home and she was laying there, I was talking with her and she she just kept she wouldn't stop she just kept saying you know you do amazing things you you really help people that's so good and you know even in her last you know last days she was praising her family or her grandkids and you know that that's her that was her wow that's so beautiful i'm so happy you had someone like that within your life like not everyone does and i'm just feeling like so much love and just so much support and I can only imagine what that does to you as an individual as you move forward in life. And yeah, like who would want one of those people to to go, right? Like, <laughs> like the, it gives us a great boost because life is not easy. And we need those people to remind us of what we're capable of, who we are, and that we're still loved as much as the world may and different aspects of the world may try to change that. But when there's one person there just cheering you on and providing that, 
you know, we can maintain and we can actually do so much more in life. Like I couldn't be here without support of some of my family and friends who really gave me encouragement when I was at my darkest days with within education <laughs> and trying to persevere that. But like you look back, you're like, I, I needed them. And it's nice that you had her. Did, when you're when she was at, at home, did she ever request you to play your guitar for her? Yes, there were a couple of times I did take my guitar up to her house and, and played. I, I, yeah, now that you're, you're like bringing back memories of like smiling. Yeah, absolutely. I did play for her. And I'm just thinking back to all the times that she was there at, at many of my shows. <laughs> and my, my 16th birthday party, I was at that point, I was in a, uh, a punk rock band actually <laughs> and and I played my my band played my 16th birthday party was all I wanted uh and there's my grandparents sitting front row and <laughs> I don't know that they like really liked the music but they were just happy that I was you know there and uh expressing myself through my music uh, so, <laughs> smile on my face. <laughs> I'm curious because we're talking about like what we want at end of life what music did she request? Was it like a cover from someone else or was it your own song? Like what, what did she request? My, my grandmother, we had uh, Pandora playing and it was mostly classical music. Um, yeah. So we had some like piano, but also other classical music playing through Pandora. We had a speaker next to her bed. Wow. All right. So tell me about, you had a grief dream of her. So were you playing guitar for her? What did this look like? <laughs> No. Okay. So the grief dream. So I, in the dream, I'm at my grandparents' house, but it was definitely clear that, you know, she had already died, but there was an event happening and I don't know what it was, but it definitely felt like some sort of milestone for me because friends and family members were coming in. They had gifts and gifts were piling up and I'm looking around and I'm I'm seeing familiar faces and and I'm noted, I'm noting that this is a big occasion for me, whatever it is. And I'm, I'm overcome. I go from being super happy about this occasion to overwhelmingly sad. And I, I just realized in that moment, I want my mom. <laughs> I want to, I want my mom. Uh, so I'm walking through the house looking for my mom and I get into the kitchen of my grandparents' house. And I see my mom and she comes over and I am just in the dream. I am just sobbing. There are tears just overflowing. And I, t- I look at my mom and I say, Grandma would have loved to have been here for this. And my mom says, I know. And she hugs me. And it's one of those big mama bear hugs. She just mm-hmm. squeezes me. And in my dream, I open my eyes and my mom is still hugging me. So it's, you open your eyes in the hug and you're looking out past your mom or my mom. And uh, there she is there's my grandma. And I have to tell you, I, I don't lucid, I don't have lucid dreams at all. <laughs> that one was absolutely the most vivid dream I've ever had. Because when I saw her standing there, it, it was like I was, I wasn't dreaming. It, it felt very much like waking life. Like I felt my breath stop. I felt her presence. She, and Let me just describe the sight of her. So she wasn't, you know, older. She was definitely younger, but it's still grandma as I knew her, um, but but healthier. And she was wearing all white, all white. So it was like a, 
like a Hillary Clinton pantsuit. It was all white and white sneakers. And the glow, she was glowing. It radiated out of her and all around her body. Like I saw her from head to toe standing in her kitchen and she was smiling and she was in, like she stood a certain way. Like just when she was talking to you, she stood like her arms were cut. There was an arm across her chest and then the other one was resting. So that way she could rest her hand in her uh, or her head in her hand. And she was standing just like that smiling as she always did. But the glow coming from her, I can, I can still like, if I think about it, I can recapture what that felt like in that dream. It was pure love, absolutely pure love. It, but <laughs> words don't hold the depths of this. <laughs> it's, it's, if I could transmit the feeling to you, <laughs> I would, and you would understand that there are no words to capture this. So I'll do my best. But it was just kind of this, it was calm. It was love, and it was just, I, it was almost as if she was transmitting to me via radio waves, because <laughs> it was invisible, but she just kind of sent to me this message of, I'm here, and I'm in a place of pure love, and there's nothing to be sad about, because I'm, I'm here. You might be celebrating, but I am too. and. Oh, that feeling. I have never felt anything like that in waking life or in any other dream in my life. It was just incredibly powerful. Wow, that is uh that's so remarkable to have that such a profound dream and I'm looking at that and like even if it just ended with your mom hugging you, that's still a very profound dream of, you know, really allowing yourself the emotions to be released and you know, processing your grief. Then you have the second part to it where you're just like blown away by a feeling, as you said, you've never felt in waking reality. So how do you make sense of that? And that's my, I opened my eyes. Like I, I don't know how long I stood there staring at her and just kind of basking in her glow. But then I, I woke up, you know, right then and there. And it was clearly the middle of the night. My, and I, I, my pillow was completely soaked. So the crying that I was doing in my dream, I was doing in real life. Um, wow. my, my eyes were just completely filled with water. And when I opened them, they, that's when they drained completely. Um, and that feeling stuck with me. Like I wanted to hold on. And so I remember just going back into the, like, I closed my eyes because I wanted to see her again. And I wanted to capture that feeling. And so I stayed in it as long as I possibly could because I knew I have never experienced anything like this before in waking life. This is beyond words and comprehension. And as I sat with it, or really I was laying in bed, right? As I laid there with it, all that came to my mind was, this is love. This is the, the highest and purest form of love. And she gave that to you. And so, yeah, I, I can't really comprehend it or make sense of it except or that's the only sense that came to my mind as I as I laid in it. It's so interesting to think about there's levels to love. As you said, like pets have a certain type of love, but there's like the levels to the game. <laughs> and, you know, I've learned that just 
as I, the way I feel love and the way I express love has changed from when I was a teenager to now. But when you start talking about these dreams or I hear these dreams, I'm like, wow, there's so much left I don't know in this life to get there. You know, like, because I think if you got there in your dream, why can't you get there in waking life? You know, like what's stopping us mm -hmm. from feeling that kind of love in waking life? And that really is an interesting question on my end because it's like, well, how, how can I get there? You know, like if it's possible, how can I achieve that here? And like, so it's like, how do we rethink of what love is? And you need beacons, right? Like, so you're really great that you had this moment. You, you can't really articulate it, right? So it's hard for people to go towards it. But like you have a moment in time where you realize what's possible. And so it's almost like a lighthouse in a way. And you, how do you get back there in waking life? Is it possible? Yeah, I don't I know, know, right? But it's it's yeah. interesting to think about. It is so interesting to think about the levels of love. And, and like you said, why wait until we cross the veil? Like how do we capture that here? I, that's <laughs> It's like a Zen mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but wow, what a what an experience. I'm so happy you had that. It's so profound. So like you can't even, I can't fully understand the impact of that, but I'm definitely sitting in awe of what happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I couldn't wait to tell my mom because I knew she, had, my mom has had grief dreams before in her past of other family members. And so she was kind of waiting. She wanted to see her mom. And so I waited a few days to kind of fully wrap my head around the dream and everything that happened and how profound it was for me. And then I called her and I, I told her every bit of it. And she was just, she was so happy. Like you could tell in her voice, it brought her some sense of peace and maybe a little bit of, of healing in her own grief. And so I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to share that with her and, and she can be, she could have a little, almost experience it with me in a way because she had said, you know, I really wanted to see her, but I'm so thankful that you did. And you could share that with me because that is, it feels a little lighter for me now that I could share it with others that it would have been meaningful too. I'm, I'm thankful for that as well. I'm glad you, you did share it too, because as you've seen, there can be very beautiful effects from that for those who really haven't had that experience or haven't had the dream of her yet. And people are, they said like mm -hmm. your mom was waiting and it can be very mm -hmm. sad, saddening when you don't and people can mm -hmm. put unrealistic expectations on why that is. I've dreamt of everyone else. What's going on, right? Like, is there something wrong? Like, did I do something wrong? Like what? And so it's nice that it, when people share these dreams, it can actually help people more than, and you know so you know good for you has she had one yet or no not that i know of and i think she would tell me um but i don't think so wow yeah it's uh it's a mystery i'm like who who has these and also when it's mm -hmm. very interesting yeah so do you feel that that dream or having that dream has really shifted you or helped you process the loss Absolutely. Well, it, it definitely validated for me that when I'm talking to her as I'm planting anything, that she's, she's there. So I was thankful for that validation. But I've been on kind of, you know, 
an interesting journey in in my own belief system, and and it just evolves um, as as it you know normally does for humans. Um, our set of beliefs changes with the seasons and, and the seasons of our lives, and it's definitely been on a high paced journey, you know, over the last few years. And I really feel that dream brought me a sense of peace about the next chapter in terms of what happens when we die, what happens when we cross that veil. The dream for me brought me a lot of peace about that, that that it's warm, that it's loving. You know, in, in my mind, it just, it really, not that I don't have any death anxiety, right? Not that I am completely <laughs> ready for death at any time. No, but I definitely sensed from that dream that she was in a place of pure love. And that definitely makes the next step seem less daunting when you know or you sense that you're going to a place of pure love. Well, that's true. And it's interesting to think about on not just the effects of grief, but just death anxiety in general would, can also decrease from these dreams. Wow. All right. So is that the only dream you've had ever since? Um, that, yeah, that was my only dream of my grandmother. and the, the only grief dream I've had since. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because some people have they're like multiple, other people's only have one. But man, if that's the only one you ever get, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a keeper. <laughs> that's a keeper. Absolutely. I'm, I'm absolutely. I'm just so thankful for that experience because and it does inform my waking life when I'm when I'm noticing that I'm getting really overwhelmed or I'm losing my perspective and I'm getting kind of drawn into like maybe maybe I'm getting drawn into a stressful part of my life and I'm letting it overwhelm me I'm letting it flood me I, I draw myself back to that dream and that feeling and it brings me back out to that wider perspective of life. And I, I, don't, I don't allow myself to flood anymore or sit in that really stressful situation anymore. So it's definitely been one of the best coping techniques I've ever, I've ever had. <laughs> wow, that's, that's interesting. Because I know like I've heard people state that when they're going through their grief, they will turn to some of these dreams that they've had as a way of coping. But you're saying just at any aspect of life, even beyond just the loss, you're just getting too stressed out, you can still go back to that and still feel it. And I think it's amazing mm -hmm. how you still feel it. Like it hasn't just like the emotions like aren't gone. Like they're still there. You can still find your way to them. Absolutely. And I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. If I if I just it's kind of like a meditation that I go into and I, I access it. It's it's almost as if it's stored in my body. And I access it and then I'm reminded of the bigger picture of, of love, also that I'm being guided, that there are spirits on the other side who are guiding me and helping me. And that, that oh, that's, that's a very powerful uh, a coping mechanism when you're losing sight of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if only we could sort of allow everyone to have that sort of experience because then, yeah, like what, like what's stopping everyone from having that? It's very interesting, but I'm glad you you have that and you found a, a new way of coping. The one thing I do want to ask is, because the know things are opening up in the States, are you having in-person classes now or are things still virtual? We were able to have in-person instruction 
the classrooms look a little different, right? The desks are really spaced out. We can only have so many people in the room and masked. And for a while, we were able to offer, like, uh, we called it roomies and zoomies. Uh, so there were students in the room in person and some were on Zoom to keep the, to keep the limits down. All right, so we're just going to be wrapping up the uh, the podcast. And so one of the the last conversations we always like to have is if you could have a dream tonight of someone who has died, who would it be and what would that dream look like? Oh, goodness. That's such a great question. <laughs> I I've had so many um I've had so many good friends die that I I wish I could see all of them again. <laughs> mm. Um they always uh, just had some really fun friends die untimely deaths. So I guess I, I would love to see my friends again and just just hear them talk. And because I know whatever they would say, it would make me laugh. They were just such funny, free, uh, wild people. So yeah, I wish I could see some friends again. Yeah, and just kind of rekindle that that laughter that they always brought out of me i like that so you're i can see like at this party with all your dead friends so it's like a death party <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can you don't need to take the the manual with you anymore or your journal <laughs> you just go and enjoy these people <laughs> yeah is there a location yeah, it would be, it would be, uh, well i love nature so i would i would make them meet me in the middle of the woods <laughs> <laughs> a woods party okay all right yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that that's great I'm, I'm guessing since you do love warmth and warm weather that it'll be in the summer yes <laughs> okay all right look at that oh that's amazing i, I hope you <laughs> have a dream so similar to that tonight it'd be really amazing to be able to hear back from you on if that happens yeah, absolutely. And so just wrapping up, where can people find information if they want to learn more about maybe death and dying from you personally or to even take your course? Sure. Um, so there are tons of death, dying, and death positive uh, resources online. Um, if they want to check out Penn State uh, University, I'm at the Du Bois campus. And then they want to follow uh, my death positive adventures on Instagram. They're welcome to look at my handle is deathclaunt one zero four. What's the one zero four stand for? Uh, it's our wedding anniversary, October fourth. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> now everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's great. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and thank you so much for coming on. I I really got excited for when you said that you really started the program. And that makes me just happy with where life is heading. There's just people that are making changes to the the norms, I guess. And I wish I had those courses growing growing up and when I did any at any university I attended. And so it's nice how you're able to provide that. And then for you to share so much about that dream. And that dream is phenomenal. It's like the way you've expressed it as best you could. It just It's so moving to me. And it's one of those dreams I'm going to always remember, too, just because of the amount of just how it went from that, that sadness and the crying and then the, the love, the power of it afterwards. 
it's just really remarkable. And so just thank you for coming on and, and being such a ambassador of the the movement of talking about death and dying and grief. Yes. Thank you so much for for having me on your podcast. It's truly been an honor. Thank you so much. All right. So hopefully you enjoyed listening to the episode. And if you want to learn more about the topic, please check out our website at griefdreams.ca. And if you want to support the podcast, you can contribute and the links are there. And we'd like to thank all those people who continue to support the podcast. On the website, you can also find two courses that I've made. And so the first one's a Grief Dreams workshop. And here it's about a nine and a half hour course. And we talk about all things grief dreams. So if you want to learn more about the topic, that's a place to go. And then the other course is Crazy in Love, Using Romantic Relationships as a Vehicle for Growth. If you have Facebook, you can follow our Grief Dreams podcast page and be notified when these podcasts are released. But you can also join the Grief Dreams Facebook group if you want to share or hear dreams of others on there. We're also on Instagram and Twitter and on Clubhouse at Grief Dreams. And we have two clubs on Clubhouse, which is pretty exciting for us. So we have a Grief Dreams club and also a Grief Cafe club. So feel free to join those if you have Clubhouse. And we also like to sort of mention if you, wherever you're listening to this, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, it helps with the rankings on when people type in grief or dreams, where it comes up in the search engine. So the more ratings you get, the higher up you are in that list. So if you can, feel free to subscribe and give us a rating. And hopefully it's a five. <laughs> and so as we, as we like to say on the podcast, with love and gratitude from us to you. Just myself, you have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.